Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It's 12.33 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott in the big chair. Cody Jansen, pinch hitting as the producer this week on Oilers Now, where guests receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. It's the greatest steak you've ever had. Edmonton owned and operated, open from Wednesday through Sunday, 5 p.m. until close. Head down to 9990 Jasper Avenue and tell Brendan, Maggie, Taylor, and the staff at Roos Chris that Oilers Now sent you. Well, I'm on this next guest Twitter page right now, and he's going to be able to answer some of my questions on sort of what the next steps are for the NHL as we bring in our head Headliner today for Touchback Safety, Elliot Friedman. Headliner brought to you each day uh, by, by Touchback Safety. Renew your safety tickets today and get 15% off your course with promo code TRAINING2020 at touchbacksafety.com. Elliot, looking fresh-faced as ever. Uh, that'll be the last time we mention your beard, I, I hope. Where's uh, where's Stoffer today? Is he like, uh, out like a cutting his toenails or something like that he has been on vacation all week i'd be lying if i told you i knew where he is so you know where he is he's out somewhere brandon rooting that people don't think you're better than he is which we know is the truth well we'd better make sure he doesn't see the text line when he gets back because uh, i've had a little bit of positive feedback <laughs> yeah no doubt about it. i i've been burning i i went over my monthly limit sending in those notes Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So I know where they're coming from now. Elliot, uh, we've had a ridiculous couple of days in the sports world. And I say ridiculous, not in a negative context. It's just been another whirlwind. It's been a whirlwind in a year where the whirlwind seems never to cease. So Mm -hmm. uh, just from the position that you were in, maybe walk us through how things were unfolding uh, through Wednesday as the Bucks ultimately stopped things in the NBA and then, and then NHL followed suit. Well, I, I think what happened was, um, uh, you know, I, I, like, I, I mean, it's so funny. Like, it seems like such an easy question to be prepared to answer, but it's it's so overwhelming, as you said, <laughs> that um, you almost don't know where to start. So the Bucks, uh walk off the court or basically don't even show up, um, you know, it was Wednesday afternoon. And at that point in time, the Islanders and the Flyers are playing. So, you know, nothing can be done with that. And then, you know, we start to hear about cancellations and, and things, and the Bruins and Lightning are getting prepared to play. And, you know, with, with you know, hindsight, I don't think it was reasonable to expect those players to cancel the game. I, I You know, it's, it's 1-1, it's the playoffs in Game 3. Those guys had no idea of what was going on out, out there. And, you know, I've said this a lot over the past couple of days, Brandon, I, I think that what it was missing was someone, whether it was from the league, the players association, or one of the teams to step up and say, like, let's take a 30 minute time out here and just see where we are because those players weren't in a position to decide. And, you know, so it got rushed like a a moment of uh, the moment at the beginning of the game got rushed and it just wasn't good enough. I mean, that's the end of the day. That's what happened. And it kind of made the situation worse. And as we know now, the Dallas-Colorado players really hadn't thought about it either. And it's not a surprise to me that a lot of this started between Vegas and Vancouver because they were the two teams that weren't playing that day. They were the two teams that were not in game mode 
and they were the two groups of players who really had time to think about it. And I think once those other teams got through their games and they joined in with the Vegas-Vancouver guys, I think they just kind of realized that um, it made sense to, you know, take a uh, take a couple days and and kind of, you know, show some solidarity and take a look at the at the bigger picture. I think it was important for players to be the ones to come forward here, Elliot. I mean, that was what I was saying uh, when there was so much criticism on the league for playing, as you alluded to, and it just didn't make sense to me. I mean, like this is. The NBA's movement was player-driven, so if the NHL was going to follow suit, that needed, in my opinion, to be player-driven too. And then it was. And then yesterday we heard them speak, and I think that that was, I mean, having that platform for them and, and even the optics of what happened, particularly out here in the West with uh, with members of, of, you know, the Hockey Diversity Alliance up there fielding questions and making statements and providing context, Elliot, that I think that was much needed based on a lot of what I saw as just sort of misunderstanding in the players' messaging, so it was important uh, for me to see them able to have the time and the uh, and the platform to sort of iron out exactly what they're driving at here. Well, I, I think this, like you know, Brandon, I, I think that um, that in the moment, in the moment, it, it, when you're like. Like I, I was sitting there on on Wednesday night, and I wasn't on the schedule, so I didn't work that night. And I felt terribly for my coworkers who had to work because you could tell their heart just wasn't in it, right? And but they're but you know they're on their phones, they're tuned into the world. Um, I think it's pretty legitimate that those players were focused on their games, and you know just weren't looking at the big picture. And. I agree with you that it had to be a player thing. It was it was player led in basketball, and it was player led in the WNBA, and the the players who sat out in baseball and the teams who sat out in baseball. I mean, I got to tell you, it's weird watching baseball games while nothing else is going on. Um, you know, the, but it's been player led. It it had to be player led, and you know, I like, so, like the players I spoke to over over the yesterday. They quite simply told me that, you know, when you're in game mode, especially at this time of year, you're in game mode. And you really don't have an incredible idea of what's going on around you. Now, once game mode was over and they had a chance to really realize what was happening, I don't think it was a difficult decision for that. Um, you know, like, uh, I know some of the flyers called Chris Stewart, who's not with them in the bubble, but, you know, it, it played with them this year. Um, you know, obviously there's, there's Ryan Reeves in Vegas, there's Caudry and Belmar in Colorado, but, you know, I, I think there were some calls made about, you know, what should we do here? And, you know, the, the, like the Canucks players, I heard that, uh, when before they took their morning skate, there were ten of them who were waiting outside the uh, Vegas dressing room to talk to Reeves. And of course, Shattenkirk played with Reeves uh, in St. Louis. They're good friends. And I heard Shattenkirk and Van Riemsdyk were were very vocal on the call about we have to support these players. And um, I, I just think that once. They got out of game mode and into, I guess, for lack of a better term, life mode, um, the momentum really gained.
Chatting with Elliot Friedman from NHL Hockey on Rogers. Uh, what can you say about the role of specifically the Hockey uh, Diversity Alliance here? Because to me, this is this is what they were founded to help you know drag the league into the fight of, so to speak. This is the core that they wanted to have representing the entire league and saying this is you know important to us and here's why in a league that uh, relative to the rest of the major sports leagues doesn't have as much representation of people of color so good timing to have had the hockey diversity alliance founded a few months prior in order to sort of help steer the ship right now well I, you know I, I think that you know those players are very passionate about their voices and I mean look at what, look what we're seeing like Evander Kane I mean, we saw it from the way he played, uh, plays. Like he's no shrinking violet, right? Like he's 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 a vocal guy in terms of his play, and he's a vocal guy in terms of what he's afraid, uh, what he what he's unafraid to say. And uh, you know, yesterday, and him and Matt Dumba, like one of the players told me, it was actually kind of funny. There were there was one cell phone with a, 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 a I think a team on it, and there was another cell phone with a team on it. And then there was another cell phone with Kane and Dumba on it. So, like, there were these three cell phones with close to 100 people on it listening to the conversation. He said it was really funny. And, um, you know, like, I, I just think the whole thing is, like, those guys have big voices, and they're not afraid to use them right now. And, uh, you know, I, I think in, in moments like this, you can't be shy. And, you know, Evander Kane and Matt Dumba, in particular, who've been doing a lot of the talking the last couple of days, um, they're not shy, and and that's basically what's what's happening. And you know, to be honest, I think the HDA, like there was a story that broke today about uh, Dale Talon, the former invest, uh, former GM of the Panthers, being under uh, investigation. And um, you know, I, I think the HDA was aware of that situation too, and it's. Uh, one player kind of hinted to me that that kind of came up a bit yesterday. Now we heard that with Elaine Vigneault, some comments that players received as very insensitive or, or tone deaf in some sense. And then Dale Talon today, Uh, is there a, I don't don't think those two, I don't think those two things are equal. Um, You know, I think if Elaine Vigneault could do it over again, he would say something very different. Um, But I, I, I don't think what, the, what Vino said and what uh, Talon apparently is being accused of are at all similar. Well, we'll wait for that to come out in the wash. In the meantime, I'd like to get the update from you. I see you're tweeting that there's a meeting going on in the East right now, or presentations, I should say, in the East, and then uh, uh, just after the show ends today here in Edmonton. So what what is the latest? And, and I think that that'll parlay into what are the next steps here for the NHL? Well, as we speak, the um, there's a there's a, a presentation going on. Like, I don't know if it's going over uh, Zoom or how it's being done exactly, but it, there's a presentation being done with the with the players and the teams in the Eastern Conference bubble. And in a couple hours, there's going to be a presentation with the teams in the Western Conference bubble. And um, you know, I think they're going to talk about where they kind of want to go to from here. And um, you know, I, I, I like if you look at the NBA today. The NBA, after they went through a couple days of meetings, and there was a board of governors meeting yesterday, and there was a a conference call with some of the players and the owners, and they came out with um, uh, some steps today, including using uh, team-owned arenas as uh, polling booths for the election. 
Um, I do think that's one of the things the HDA would like to see uh, in the United States. But um, uh, I also think that one of the things they're talking about is a pledge. And in that pledge are specific targets for uh, hiring um, uh, uh, minority people or um, uh, doing business with uh, black-owned companies or businesses. So I think that's kind of the targets they're looking for. And, uh, I mean, we'll see where it goes. This obviously has to continue between the league and the uh, HDA. We're chatting with Elliot Friedman, NHL hockey on Rogers, one of the most plugged-in men in the hockey world. Um, quality of hockey for me, like when they're on the ice in this postseason, mm-hmm. Elliot, it has been phenomenal. In a year where it could have reasonably not been, and you would have probably understood, but these guys have proven that they are cream-of-the-crop athletes who can stay in shape um, and then come out and perform on a dime. I've been really impressed of you. Yeah, I, I I have to say that I I think that the the players have put on a, a really good show. Um, you know, I know the bubble hasn't been easy, and I think that's one of the things some of the NBA players have kind of talked about in the past few days. Is the bubble has been difficult on them for a lot of different reasons, not just because of what happened in uh, Wisconsin, but also Paul George after a big game the other day admitted that he was having trouble focusing in the bubble. Um, you know, I, I think that the same things happen with the NHL players. Um, you know, I, I think they it, it hasn't been easy on them. Um, you know, to be honest, yeah, when it came up yesterday that they were thinking of taking two days instead of one, I think there were some players who were unsure about that just because they didn't want to increase their time in the bubble before deciding it was the proper thing to do. Um, I think it's been hard, but I agree with you, Brian. I think the quality of play has been, been really good. I mean, um, you know, that Vegas-Vancouver series, game one looked totally lopsided. Game two, Vancouver came back, and, and I think it's, it's going to be exciting. I mean, the Islanders don't play the most exciting brand of hockey, but that series has been really good uh, with the Flyers. Game three was a dud, Boston-Tampa, but you know that that is, is going to be fine. And I, I really enjoyed Dallas-Colorado. That's, uh, that's big boy hockey, and I've enjoyed watching it. Yeah, it's it's been big big boy hockey in the West in particular, which obviously I've had a yeah, little more. Yeah, all you Western guys are biased. <laughs> I, I know we are, but you look at a guy like like Jamie Benn, for example, and I won't call it a resurgence. To me, this is the level that he can be contributing at on a regular basis, but that's a big frame that he knows how to use, but he's smart about it, Elliot. I don't know if you caught this or we're on the panel in the, in, uh, the game he had a clear trolley track shot at Nathan McKinnon and Jamie Ben I've seen on a couple of occasions recognize that he's going to hurt somebody or you know just change to alter the fact that he is a big body right and maybe wiggle around he's just got a great awareness about him and now he's producing points wise again so for me he there's a guy in uh, a quintessential sort of west Co- western conference player who's been shining but there's been some emerging stars in these playoffs too obviously Merrill Heiskanen right behind uh, Nathan McKinnon in terms of scoring there Bo Horvat leading in the way of goals scored uh, who's leaping off the page for you this year Elliot in the postseason well, Hayeskin's won for sure, Brendan. I mean, like, uh, it's already a joke. Like, next year, the, the Norris Trophy is going to be either Hayeskin or Seth Jones, right? Because <laughs> they had their big playoffs, so now that's going to give them the boost until uh, next year. Um, you know, I, I think, like, 
you know, I, I think Sergachev is a guy who's he, he's probably not as high as some of the other guys, but he's a guy who I think is really starting to go. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, McAvoy, McAvoy was on my Norris ballot this year. He was fifth, I think, on mine. And he had that big hit against Jordan Stahl that kind of changed that series and that, that one game that the Bruins came back in. But I'm a big, I'm a big McAvoy guy. But, you know, I'll tell you somebody who might make himself a lot of money here because he's an unrestricted free agent. If Dallas writes themselves in that series, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Kudobin. I completely agree. And this, this playoff... Maybe he'll be an oiler. You beat me to it, Elliot. You beat me to it because to me, that's that's an upgrade on age. And with the market right now, uh, seemingly, again, I've said this this week, but when I was looking at things in, in December, January, there was kind of a clear prize in this year's goaltending availability, and that was Robin Leonard. Um, yeah, Jacob Markstrom right below him, but I he's so valuable to the Canucks. If they can find a way uh, to save enough cap space to get those kids signed and keep him in between their pipes, I believe that'll be in the in their best interest. But now, you know, there's so many goaltending options. Even Marc-Andre Fleury, after what happened, uh, you got to wonder whether he's more available. Hudobin, looking pretty good, Elliot. Uh, one transaction we know is in the books already. Kyle Dubas acquiring a first-round pick in this year's draft, 15th overall, and a couple other pieces in exchange for Kasperi Kapanen, who Jim Rutherford reacquires in Pittsburgh. Um, what did you make of that deal? And, and Berkey was hesitant to say that the Leafs have walked away with this one, uh, of course, but like to to get to your thoughts on the trade. Maybe Berkey doesn't want to give up his seat at the table at Jim Rutherford's card games or something like that. <laughs> um, no, you know what? Like, I, I think what happened was Toronto set a price. They said, um, if we're trading Kapanen, it's a first in a prospect. And I think there were a lot of other teams out there, uh, Brendan, who said, you know, we're not willing to pay that price. Or they thought if they were going to have to, it would be closer to the draft. And Rutherford, who doesn't like to waste time, said, I'll do it. And that was the deal. And I think that was the only way Toronto was trading Kapanen right now as they got that. And I think what that's done, at the least, Vernon, is it's kind of opened up the trade market. I think, you know, one of the things you talked about before was the weird times we're living in. There's a lot of people sitting around and doing nothing. So I think it gives them something to do is talk about their teams and see where they want to go. And I think there's a lot of names being talked about. I don't know if anything else is going to happen. I think some of these teams that are still in the playoffs aren't thrilled that this kind of activity is happening when they can't make moves. Um, but I think there's a lot of talk picking up around the league, and uh, I think Toronto and Pittsburgh started it. Well, we're going to be in for an exciting offseason, sort of free agent market, trade market, uh, the flat cap, where it's going to be... I've been saying this too. I'm sick of the word unprecedented, but it does still fit that bill. Last one for you, Elliot. The Coyotes mm-hmm. uh, officially handed their punishment for uh, sort of tampering in the in the realm of testing draft prospects. Cost them a 2020 second, a 2021 first rounder. Um, does that punishment fit the crime in your opinion? Uh, to be honest, I was a bit surprised just in the sense that I thought that they were going to punish uh, Chaika after he left the team. If you look at Bettman's history, 
when New Jersey got fined the first round draft pick when the when the Kovalchuk deal, he gave it back when they sold the team. And I thought because it was new ownership, he would punish the general manager or the former general manager as opposed to the team. Uh, and then he hammered the team. I mean, it's a stiff punishment. Like I know a lot of other teams that were really happy about it. If if Gary Bettman's goal was to tell anybody don't do this again. He's certainly accomplished that. It was a it was a stiff, stiff punishment, and um, you know I, I think it's thrown them into a little bit of chaos. I think they were shocked by the severity of it. Um, I think one of the things that kind of happened was um, think the the blood got so bad between the Coyotes and Cheka that the Coyotes were kind of you know maybe ripping them on the way out, and they kind of hurt their own case. And um, I, so I think that's a part of it. It'll be interesting. I, I'm curious to see if they're going to appeal because, look, they don't, have, they don't have a pick this year in the first three rounds now, and they don't have a first-rounder next year. So I wonder if they try to appeal, but uh, it's a stiff, stiff punishment. There's no question about it. And they, if Hall doesn't sign there, don't have a tremendous amount of assets to try and... and... I, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think Hall's going to sign there um, you know they they have a tough cap tough cap situation for next season, and then it really eases. And uh, and I think they want to rebuild, so I think they'll try to move some pieces. I talked about Ekman Larson on the show last week, mm-hmm. so I think there will be some pieces um, move. Um, but you know again they're going to have to they're going to have to make up for those picks they lost. Thank you very much for your time. Elliot Friedman, his appearance is brought to you by the River Cree Resort Casino. Uh, Elliot, enjoy this weekend. We'll have some hockey action uh, all day long tomorrow. Uh, thanks very much, Brian. Have a great day. I appreciate that. that is uh, Elliot Friedman, one of the most dialed-in men in the hockey business. Uh, let's quickly press pause here, Cody, and then we'll come back with the James H. Brown injury report. Brendan Escott in today on Oilers Now. Creeping up on 1257 in Edmonton. Guess what? That 50-50 number, Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation, it's out there. They've announced it. NHL.com slash Oilers or at Oil underscore Foundation on Twitter for your winning number. Somebody just became $7 million, $7,088,425 richer. My goodness. Expect a lot of people to try and be your friend. What would you do if you won? Hide. (laughs) (laughs) Change my phone number, man. Uh, We're going to have some games tomorrow, so we better check in on the injury report. That's for James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Cody, what's up? Yeah, let's look at those games for tomorrow. Tampa, they're still without Steven Stamkos. Ryan McDonough, he's listed as day-to-day, but I've also heard he could be a game-time decision. We're still not sure on the severity of his injury there for the Bruins. Sean Corrali still out. That's a big miss on their fourth line. He's a, you know, good role player for them. Um, after sitting out game two, the Flyers confirmed that Scott Lawton isn't actually injured as a speculated upon, and he's good to go if needed tomorrow. The Isles have been pretty lucky for them this postseason. Haven't had to deal with too much aside from the Boychuk incident there. Um, for the late game, Vegas winger Thomas Nosek still unfit to play for the Golden Knights, while Vancouver defenseman Tyler Myers still silent as well. It appeared to be an apparent shoulder injury, so we'll see if he does get back in this series. 
Well, you saw how much of an immediate impact Tyler Toffoli had when he was reinserted into the lineup. I wonder whether I wonder whether the Canucks will be in the playoffs long enough for Tyler Myers to make a return on that back end. It is nearly 12.59 in Edmonton now. Still to come on the Friday edition. 135, we're going to the Pacific Northwest. We're going to Seattle. Andy Ide, 710 ESPN Radio. We're talking Kraken, Ethan Bear and the Thunderbirds, Carter Hart, and why Everett seems to be a goaltending factory. All coming up after a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.